Hey sister, thanks for tuning in to the Your Sorority Journey podcast this week in such a pivotal, also heavy, but moving week. I uh, feel so compelled by the Black Lives Matter movement and our role as sorority women in playing a part especially considering our organization's histories that we don't often dive into very often. Our guest today, Bridget Wynn, is a FIMU from Florida International University who joined as a graduate student. She has a very different perspective of the sorority experience, both as a Black woman and having joined an organization that wasn't predominantly white in Miami. Since Being a member, a graduate member of FIMU, she has volunteered, now is on staff with Arizona State University, um, overseeing the Panhellenic Council, and has a really unique perspective of the role of racial bias and prejudice in our organizations that she has explored um, and studied and presented on and is sharing a little bit more with us today. I'm really excited for you all to hear her journey and her story because it's often a perspective that we don't hear and we don't highlight as sorority women. And her sorority journey is really intended to be a place where any woman who identifies as a sorority member feels heard and feels their perspective being portrayed. And so It's a commitment that I have shared this week to make sure that we are encompassing more sorority women's experiences, not just a stereotypical experience. One thing that I love that Bridget goes into today is the responsibility that we as sorority women, leaders, alumni, volunteers in the sorority space have to truly educate our collegians. We talk about our the collegiate experience better equipping women for society. And if we don't talk about the role of racism in America, then we are not truly educating our women to be good allies um, for society. We are also not providing an inclusive space for our women of color who are members of our organizations as we claim to strive to be inclusive and diverse. I'm very excited for you to get to know Bridget today, and here is our conversation. Welcome to the podcast, Bridget. I'm just so thankful that we could have you on this week. Thank you for having me. It's super fun to reconnect in this way. I We only crossed paths in like for maybe a year at ASU, and I think it's fun how the sorority experience like keeps bringing you back to people that you met in like different seasons of your journey. Right, exactly. It was really great to see you kind of develop from a student to now this amazing speaker and then now having your own podcast. It's been great seeing your development, you know, working within Greek life too, so. Oh, thanks. Um, Well, just to kick us off, I would love it if you could tell us about your sorority journey um, through joining FIMU all the way through your professional role now. Okay. So um, I'm from Michigan. Um, I went to undergrad at Central Michigan University um, and I was really involved as a student as a RA and also served our student magazines and stuff like that. Um, But I did not go Greek in my undergraduate career, um, fun enough. Um, So when I moved to Florida uh, to go to Florida National University in Miami, Florida, I actually 
really hated my experience there initially. <laughs> and I thought of, you know, I was like, okay, what do we tell students to do when they, they feel disconnected? I was like, tell them to join a group or trying to use sorority. So mm. that was the kind of, I was like, okay, maybe I'll connect now. Not that I was saying I didn't want to do that during my undergrad. I just didn't connect with any other groups that were there at the time. And then what the identity I wanted to have at the time of like maybe going through a cultural sorority, that opportunity wasn't there. So I was just like, I'm open to experience um, when I was in my grad program. And I learned from some of the women in my cohort who happened to futurely be my sisters. Um, they're like, oh yeah, grad students can join. Um, we have people from the higher ed program who have gone through sorority recruitment and happened to join our chapter. We, you should go through recruitment. So I signed up to go through recruitment and got opportunity to go through formal recruitment at FIU. And then I ended up joining and connecting with a chapter of FIMU. And that was essentially how I joined FIMU and I got to experience it. But my two years as a grad student, it was kind of really cool of getting to be in an organization and along with being in the organization of Miami, because I would say that um, my chapter experience is a lot different than which you would stand we have for different FIMUs around the country. Um, FIU, sure. is a, FIU is a Hispanic-serving institution. So a lot of my sisters are Latina and Caribbean um, versus like some of their chapters, which look completely different, um, which yeah. you know, we're going to talk a little bit, a little bit about some of yeah. those things later. Um, but yeah, so it was really great opportunity to work there. Um, there. So that's how I got into higher education. And that's kind of how I got into my sorority. Opportunity to work um, at... University of South Carolina. I worked in their Greek leadership village um, as a house director for Find Me Fun Enough. And then um, had an opportunity, I wanted to just kind of be a little closer to home. So went back to Central Michigan University for a few years and I worked there as a hall director. And I also got to be a recruitment advisor for Find You um, while I was there and really worked with those girls and kind of helped them grow their chapters since the time they were a struggling chapter, but now they're kind of a rockstar chapter. So it's really nice to see the growth that they had within the three years I was working with them. And then I had opportunity because I really enjoyed working with Greek students and seeing their leadership and development outside of the leadership and development that I was doing with students who lived in the residence halls. And I really wanted to make that a full-time thing. So when I was looking for jobs, I had opportunities a few different places and eight years in the state was the one who called me and I love Arizona state. So I got an opportunity to work out here in 2011 for internship and Arizona state has always kind of been in my back of my mind of like one of the schools that I really love and have like appreciated the culture and what they offer for students out of all the places. I usually, whoever I was, I always talk about what Arizona state does for their students. So wow. it was a, yeah, it was always a, at some point I was going to come back here. It just was a matter of time of when in a perfect position. And um, currently my, just my perfect position is working with, um, with Greek life at Arizona state university. What a unique journey. I don't think I knew that you joined as a graduate student. Yeah, at the time, um, there's a few organizations that did allow grad students um, to join them. Um, some of them have kind of changed their ruling about like grad students, like FIMU no longer does, but at the time they did allow grad students to join. Um, there's like a few stories that was like, they have national policy, which allow like graduate initiates um, to join people who were grad, grad students, stuff like that. So yeah, it was kind of a unique experience that there's some chapters that did allow grad students who maybe didn't get experience undergrad or had experience, but could get it later. Well, I think what's cool about your story is you had explored the opportunity and were interested as an undergrad and it just wasn't the right time or 
you didn't have that connection, I heard you say. Um, <laughs> it was both. Excuse so, me. No, you're good. <laughs> Uh, it is it is a fun allergy season. I have been seizing up oh. a storm over here on my hands. So I Thank understand. you. I just I feel like I get such bad looks when I'm like sneezing under my mask in the grocery store. Right? I'm just struggling over here with oh no, the cotton it's just and that- the pollen and. <laughs> No, I Not usually a struggle time. as well. I was just like, I have to sneeze, but I don't want people looking at me. Dort and my nose itches and I can't touch my face right now. This is horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's a tough time. But sorry about that. I was no, just... Yeah, just talking about like not feeling that connection at Central Michigan, but getting the opportunity and finding a chapter when you really needed a group to engage with at FIU. I think that's a really beautiful part of your journey, even though it is different and unconventional. Yeah, like like I had opportunity to slightly go through formal recruitment at Central. Um and the chapters that I, I guess ended up at towards like some of my last few days and then also at the time I was dating a very silly boy who didn't want me going Greek period um because he mm. had some of those things. And of course, you know, when you're younger you kind of let some of those people's influences help. But he wasn't a fool. Yeah. I just realized I was like, maybe this isn't for me. And I was also trying to do it as a junior. And also the like originally I was interested in doing like a cultural sorority, but the one I wanted to join was not at the university at that time. So it just wasn't it wasn't just a time or place for me. And so I was like, okay, well, I guess that experience was not going to be something. And then at FIU, it just happened to be, I was told like, oh yeah, you could totally do this if you wanted to. And I was like, that's really cool that maybe I just didn't have the opportunity then, but I could do it now providing I connected with a group that was, that allowed grad students. Yeah, absolutely. So having wanted to join a cultural organization, which group was that by the way? I cannot. Unless you don't want to share. I don't want to share, but it was like. That's okay. <laughs> but it was very org that I think, because um, I did one of their teen programs. Um, for, it was like a group with an MPHC. So with our, with yeah. the, and like the tr- historically black um, strip fraternities and sororities. So I was part of one of their teen organizations and I uh, was hoping to do that in college. And, you know, things kind of just end up where they are. Like, of like, yeah. you think you're going to do this and you end up doing this or you think this is the only experience that you can have. And it just ended up not being there. Cause it was like, that chapter wasn't there. And it's like, well, I want to be yeah. Greek before I graduate, but they are not here. So do I just never get to join an organization? Cause they're not here for this experience that I want to have. Um, so I just ended up, so I was like, well, let me just check out these other organizations and give them a fair shot because we tell other students to give people fair right. shot and chances. So I kind of just opened my experience for that. So, yes, that was kind of the time and it changed, but yeah. my kind well, of experience what I, was similar. Well, yeah, what I think of when I hear you say that is women who go to a university, maybe with the expectation of like being a legacy, like the same organization as their mom or grandma. And that organization isn't there. And they have these expectations based on the stories and experiences of Mm -hmm. these groups. And then they find their home elsewhere and like have a like still fulfilling experience um, most of the time. Would you say that FIMU like still met your expectations of what you were hoping for in that cultural group? Um, If that question makes sense. No, it does. Um, yeah, I would say I was like, I would say like of, of just all the things that I got from, you know, my chapter was, you know, a wear rounding or like 
renowning your experience. Um, I loved all the things I got to experience with my chapter sisters with Finn Find You and also just kind of what I got to learn from them. Like, you know, like I said earlier, my chapter is not just like it's a Find Me chapter, but we also have a lot of Latina women, also a lot of Caribbean women, and then like those connections and things of exposure and of being in Miami was also just kind of I got such a I learned so much from them and also just expo and grew exponentially than I can say that I would have gotten from other if I was in another chapter in another space. So that's kind of yeah. something I, I love about my experience of like it was it was there at a time I needed it. I will always say my grads my sisters kept me in grad school. Like mm. I probably would have dropped out of grad school and left um, when I went back to Michigan had I not joined Find You and had I not found that connection and had the people who were around me at that time because they kept me there. I didn't like Florida. I didn't like Miami um, yeah. at all. Um, great place to visit and get food, but I will never live there again. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was that they, they gave me a great experience while I was there. Um, so I usually will thank them for keeping me in grad school because that's essentially what they did. Yeah, Miami is in a world of its own from oh, the yes. humidity to <laughs> the culture. It's a little bit different than um, Mount Pleasant. Isn't that where Central Michigan is? It is in Mount Pleasant. <laughs> I can't believe you removed that. Yes, it is in Mount Pleasant where there is no mountain. <laughs> um, which yeah. Is not, <laughs> it's just flatland. There is no mountain. Um, but yes, completely different from Mount Pleasant, but also like I'm from the Metro Detroit area. So also very different from the mm. Metro Detroit area in general, because that's where I grew up, which is like two hours from Mount Pleasant. But yeah, I grew up in yeah. the Metro area. So coming from Michigan and also the Midwest to this to like South Florida it was different. Especially, I always found it funny. People always said, "You're not from here." I'm like, how do you know? They're like, because you're so nice. I'm like, why is that a thing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's so sad. I was like, why is that a thing? That because I'm so nice, you automatically know that I'm not from here. Oh my <laughs> gosh, you are so nice, though. <laughs> Thank you. It's like, what does that say about your about your space that you live yeah. in? That if people are nice, they're not from here. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I will never forget that day I ran into you in anthropology and you just like lit up like a like a light bulb. You were just like such a breath of fresh air in like a retail store. I was like, Aww. oh my gosh, like this is so fun. Um, yeah, so I'm not, <laughs> I'm not surprised people said that about you in Miami. Um, but the only reason I know where Central Michigan is is because I actually visited Sigma Kappa's chapter there when I traveled for Sigma Kappa. Oh, cool. I, I flew into Saginaw <laughs> and like drove over. So I, that's the only reason I like have that fast trivia on where you went to school. <laughs> yeah. So you got to visit the house on Cherry Street. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And actually fun fact for you is that Sigma Kappa chapter is why I was like, I should be open because I love them. They were great. Love the girls who Aww. were Sigma Kappas at Central Michigan were in a lot of leadership positions. And usually I knew a lot of them were really cool and really good people. So I was like, I want to play a Sigma Kappa. They're so great. And they're so nice and so sweet. I love them. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so fun. Um, well, I'm curious, what were you studying at FIU when you were a grad student? Is that what made you interested in like higher ed and staying involved in the fraternity and sorority space? 
Yes. So I got my, uh, when I was at FIU, I was getting my master's in higher education administration. So that is what my master's of science is focused in. So essentially it is working and helping college students. That's um, something because I literally was an RA um, with exception of my freshman year until I graduated. Um, I loved working with college students and helping them grow and develop. And originally my undergrad major is psychology um, with kind of also a minor in sociology and theater. Theater is random. I wanted to be an actor at some point, but I found a different oh, focus. <laughs> purpose. Um, but essentially I always love and believe believe the environment that people are in as long as you're providing like mental hierarchies of needs is usually my student affairs of philosophy it's like if I can provide supporting areas and the foundation for people they can become better people so I love mm. working in higher education because essentially regardless if you're working in housing or if in student programs or academics you are essentially providing people foundational pieces for them to become better people in their life so if I am able to help people get to the next spots in their life I think I've done a good job. Yeah. Wow. That's so powerful. That's like such a, a deep why for your work. I love that. Yeah, that is essentially my why. <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> it, it, it is my, it's sometimes my reflection back of like what I do, especially when you have those hard days of like, why am I doing this? None of this matters. These students don't care about what I do, but then I'm reminded mm. of like the why I got in this is because I want to give people better opportunities. And also, cause you know, a lot of people who are in this field also sometimes it's like, they didn't have someone who helped them very well. So they want to make sure that mm. they help other people. I had great people who did help me, um, who did help me get to where I'm at. Um, but I said some people who didn't, but I think a lot of times it's just like, I'm always going to try to be the best I can be for students. If I can get them access to things or help or just be someone who was there and said they could do it, then I've done my job. Yeah. And I love that you felt that you had those people, right? Because to mm -hmm. your point, there are definitely colleagues in this field that don't feel that way and definitely go into the profession in a from a place of these students deserve more than I received, right? And right. so I think it's it's awesome that you had that experience and still feel compelled to give and serve and provide a better experience. Um, and I think just from your collegiate experience, like not being in a stereotypical sorority, like considering that most of our organizations are historically white, I think it's so unusual that you're in an organization that is, it sounds like not predominantly white. Um, how did that shape your perspective of the sorority experience while you were a member of it? Um, that's a good question. So I've kind of um, had opportunity to even talk about this with some other folks of like what their experience is like of being a minority, uh, minoritized, which is a definition of like a population that technically is not a minority by statistics answers, but by society has been minoritized. Um, mm. So, so we talked about like uh, minoritized um, students within majority Greek organizations and some of our experiences and other presentations on that. And my experience within my, like usually I'll say my chapter and my bubble experience was great. Um, but I know attitudes and experiences from some of my other chapters and other, other are not the same. So right. I think the, the hard part has, has been, I think my experience with my chapter was great and supportive and awesome. Um, but I know that usually like 
connection with some of the alumni networks and stuff like that is completely different because it's people who I don't have some of the similar cultural experiences with, or I don't have essentially some of the same, the same experience. So then it's like, well, my experience was my only my two years and I still donate to my chapter and I still have the yeah. you know, three years for life mentality, but also of like what my experience is, is completely different than if I was at um, joining at University of Alabama or Auburn or something like that. So, sure. so yeah. it, it's good and it's also difficult because your collegiate, you know, your collegiate experience is what it is. Um, but I think it's just translating that to the, the long thing, because I always feel like we talk about the, like, you know, some of my, uh, my colleagues and I have talked about this who have this experience is of like, you have this line that you're walking, especially as someone, you know, who is a cultural background of like, you are in this organization and you appreciate it, but you also have to define that and reiterate to others that you are Black or if you're Latino or you're Asian as well. Because, and it's not saying with your organization, you have to do that. It's just with others within the same, within the same cultural group of like, I have to define why I'm in this organization. So usually when we have like the big Greek conferences and stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, I'm Greek. Oh, what are you in? And I'm like, I'm on you. And I usually have to have a whole explanation of why I, as a black woman, I had chosen this experience versus the other experience, which one has seemed more value and versus other to still define of like, I'm still this person and I'm still this woman, I'm still a black woman. Um, I just happened to choose experience that was good for me. Um, and that my sisters and my chapter reflects similar values and connection to me versus like the organization that you'd see plastered somewhere else. Like that's not my experience, but this is my experience. So having to toe that line and also define it um, and reiterate it to others has always been kind of the, 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 the interesting piece I would say within my, within my Greek experience. Wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for showing that Bridget, because I have never experienced that. I have never experienced the need to have to justify why I'm a member of a Panhellenic organization. And I think that's a perspective that not a lot of us have. And I really appreciate you saying that because I think as we've seen specifically this week um, in light of current events with the Black Lives Matter movement, our national organizations have, our panelic national organizations have been making statements about their commitment to diversity and inclusion and the steps they want to take to increase their reach in those areas, if you will. Um, And I think it's, I think it's almost overdue to hear that, that side of it from you, that side of it as a woman of color to have to justify to their, um, maybe their alumna peers in uh, cultural Greek organizations, why they chose that experience over others. Um, And I know that you've done research um, on these biases, the racial biases that exist in the Panhellenic experience. I um, was at NPC uh, educational conference when you presented like what is nude. Would you want to share with us like some of those findings that you have researched and conclusions you've drawn in that space? So it's not necessarily of like 
what we've researched essentially it's just talking about how racism like how racism and implicit bias shows up um within each of our organizations and the yeah. things that we can do overall especially from the you know the panhellenic side to combat that um like uh, maybe some like exam so we talked about like different things so a lot of our organizations have not been doing things. And it's been kind of nice because um, at this conference, we kind of learned about like what Delta Gamma was going to be like, was working on. And I think Delta Gamma has kind of been really good organization of our panel organizations kind of like kind of called it out of like, we have not been the best in the past and we want to correct that now. And we are going to put all of our stuff out and just say, this is what it is. And this is who we are, but we don't want to be these people anymore. So we kind of given like a history overview. And I think a lot of people do and do not realize that a lot of our organizations had white or Aryan and Christian only policies that, you know, went from the antebellum poem through the Civil War through essentially the 70s. Um, so like in some organizations were even like closed chapters, um, like, for example, Delta Gamma had closed their Bellulite chapter, uh, college chapter when they found out that they had pledged on Patricia Hamilton um, Gee, who was a black woman in the 1960s. Um, and that's also essentially how the format of recommendation letters came about was essentially. Oh, my gosh. No, this, this is true, which is like, which is always a practice I laugh at for some schools that require it. I was like, we keep one of the most historically like eliminating practices in our recruitment process. Like it's nothing, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with letters of rec. And like, I just love this girl. She's someone I think should really be in a great chapter versus like, like, and I can send you some interesting things of like, of how people will talk about like women of color who might've wanted to go through an organization might've connected with somebody. And it's like, well, she is this and she wouldn't be a good representation because she's black or she's Latino. So she you shouldn't add her to your chapter, but essentially some of that practice for recommendations letters was part of that. And nationally, none of our um, organizations between NPC or in, in NIC officially stated we are inclusive um, and, you know, we are, you know, and we want to work to integrate all of our chapters. There is no official say, it's like, hey, we're not discriminating against anybody anymore. Because um, I, I know that because I researched it <laughs> to say, hey, was there like a thing? Like, and, you know, the historian told me, she's like, there was anything like nationally released from the organizations, but there's like local chapters that you can find that have been more inclusive than not. Um, and, you know, we even talked about like some of the, recent things that had came up, um, such as, um, you know, of course, like a few years ago, what happened at University of Alabama, when two Black women who were going through recruitment, um, who were kind of blackballed out of some of the chapter experiences, even one chapter that wanted to give her a bid, but the advisors kind of overseeded that. So essentially, how do we talk with our collegians and also our chapters about some of the, the biases that do come up? So what biases do they need to be aware about? So like, um, for example, confirmation bias of not listening to viewpoints for people who are not Greek, uh, members of fraternities or sororities, um, anchoring biases, kind of those first impressions during recruitment process, along with the group group think and bandwagon effect that we tend to have mm. within, um, like when we're discussing PMs during the voting process, um, a lot of people will base those votes off of yours of like, and it can be silly things to actual like problematic things of those thinking, but also um, like what chapters also view as diverse. Like, oh yeah, we're diversity. Yes. Are you diverse? Like 
visually are you diverse in major and major and also of like talking with organizations of like like you know students of color are not pokemon um and i only say this is because mm. i had someone in my undergrad try to recruit me for the organization so i'm like we already have an asian girl that love a black girl that's not how you recruit for your organization. Oh. I, I will always remember that statement from her. <laughs> her how um, could you forget it? It's oh, she didn't get to know you or your character. She 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 was knew trying to me fit a hole. Was her, she knew me because I was her RA, but she's like, you should join my chapter because this and that. And I was like, yeah, um, yeah, I'll think about it. But you know, I always remember that statement. I mean, she knows completely better now, and you know, at the time. I would just, you know, our college years up at the 1824 period is always a very interesting period of development and growth. Um, but at the time, I was just like, uh, black people are not Pokemon. <laughs> you know, you don't just yeah. try to collect them all and say we have a diverse, you know, a diverse chapter. So we talked about the biases, but we also talked about things that we can do within bias training um, for our chapters. So what it looks like within recruitment, what it looks like within programming and also outreach and partnerships, but along with strategies and tactics for not educating, just educating our collegians, but also educating our advisors because our advisors have a very strong influence on some of the chapter's decisions, sometimes more so than the collegian members. Uh, especially mm. for panel-like organizations. So what can our advisors look like of like, hey, do our advisors need to go through bias training? What could bias training look like? Um, what are some criteria of like, for, and like, and I get these are volunteer positions. Um, no one pays them for these things, but also should some people be having influence on chapters if they don't go through these things or agree or understand these things? Um, because I think that would help with some of the issues and concerns um, that, you know, not just like of oh, just trying to create a cohesive environment, but also when we've done this presentation before, we also talk about let's just acknowledge also with our members of like our past history, because uh, just yeah. pretending it didn't exist isn't helpful. Just like um, fun fact with like kind of you were saying with some of our organizations doing some things with like Black Lives Matter and showing that they support you know their members of color um, for Find Me, they just they just denounced their uh, membership for our three secret members, which um, if you never knew, um, three secret members. And I had heard I this saw a while that. ago, <laughs> which was you know Stonewall Jackson, um, General Davis, and I can't remember someone else. Um, oh, and Robert. I think e. Robert E. Lee, right? Yes, yes. And so people, some people were like, I never knew this. And some people were like, yeah, we, we, we knew and heard this, but, you know, there's not much weight to put into it. And, and it's also like, well, why are we just like, yes, it's great they denounced it. But also, why are they just denouncing this in 2020 when there's been tons of time <laughs> to do it? But also there was a good Maya Angelou quote that someone had commented on the, on one of the posts about, it's like, you know, do what you can until you know better. And if you know better, then do better. So, you know, mm. as our organizations are learning ways. So some of the best practices we kind of encouraged, and I did this presentation with um, Jessica Ryan and also Nikki Roulette, um, who are awesome women who I've done presentations with before. We also presented AFA about kind of cultural competency and panelic organizations, what we talked about, educating selves, um, check your bias, working with area advisors for education, and also getting chapter advisors on board, and also how working with involving campus partners with fan doing some cultural competency training or even necessarily because 
there is no amount of training for anyone can do ever in their lifetime to be culturally competent, but how we can we work better at making sure that we educate our members and aren't just not doing that. So um, there's lots of people who are involved within doing that and also talking about having some hard conversations with their membership. These organizations are supposed to help our students grow and, you know, learn. Um, and I think also we're joining organizations that have a, a spotted past, which sometimes they don't want to acknowledge. So how do we help or work within that as well for them to not only be inclusive, but also be advocates for inclusivity within their campus, within their organization? Wow. Yeah. So much to unpack there, Bridget. I just... <laughs> I just thank you so much for sharing your experience presenting and the other things you covered because as I've been like kind of surveying um, her sorority journey, just the audience this week about what they'd like to see the national organizations do, what like weaknesses or blind spots you think we're missing, how we as women can, as sorority women specifically can really step up. A lot of the things that they said are things that you just outlined, right? Like, we don't talk about our history. Like I'm, I, it's hard to believe that that's part of FIMU's history, right? Or part of Delta Gamma's history when you see these organizations and what they stand for now. I also never knew that the NIC or NPC never like denounced <laughs> that they are like no longer segregating, right? That they're no longer exclusive groups. Like that's, crazy i just it is but that's the that's the hard part like there were some organizations such like five sigma sigma was like the first non-sectarian non-sectarian group which would you know you could be jewish catholic other denominations but but you know that's also why we have like which most don't know DFIE started off as a jewish organization and we still have sigma delta tau and alpha epsilon phi and beta phi alpha I think also, but essentially some of those groups have kind of evolved from like, you know, their Jewish roots to being a little bit more and some are still within that. But some of the organizations started because they weren't allowed to join other organizations. Yeah. Um, so just noting of like how those organizations are created. And even though the Civil Rights Act held those standards for people, some were still holding on tightly of not of pledging non-white members or desegregating organizations because they didn't want to. It's it's very sad, and there's never like a statement like to say make, even to make a statement nowadays would be like it's essentially past the, the point of like sure. well this is relevant because we have members of color, so we don't ever have to really say anything officially. But I mean, it never officially ever happened on paper, not anywhere anyone could see. Yeah, well, I think to your point about just talking about our organization's histories, I think because so many women or because most of our women just don't know that's how our organization was formed. It's like hard for them to take ownership of what's happening or hard for them to understand why it's important to be an ally right now, because they don't think that I'm assuming I didn't think that I had been a member of an organization that had stood for that in the past. And I'm wondering, and you can tell me what you think about this, like how much more powerful it would be if our members either in the new member education process or in the same way that we train on like health and wellness and all the other like competencies that we provide programming on. If we talked about the history of our organizations and the importance of the growth that's been happened and the strides that have been taken to truly be inclusive 
diverse chapters, like how much more of a role they'd feel or how much more ownership they'd take of their role in creating even more change in their group. Does that make sense? Do you agree? No, it, it, no it, I agree. I think because I, I feel, you know, as I say, if you don't know where you came from, you never know where you're going. And I think that mm. is, I think especially within, you know, I think for this current, I would say this current gener- generation of Greek, especially similar to how Teen Vogue is, is they are very more active and aware and they are, they do care about your social causes and also being, you know, advocating for inclusive, inclusion and diversity. So I think that our organizations are going to have to step up to task for this because the people who want to join the organizations or joining organizations are still expecting these things of like, hey, are we advocates for this or not? Are we going to call people to task for this yep. or not? You know, what does membership look like? Because this is not okay. This is not what we believe in and experience. So I think it's it's helpful that the that I would say the collegians are holding people to task, um, along with some of the alumni. Um, as well. But I think that's going to be really important is talking about those historic, historic past of like, yes, this is who we are. But and I think people I think I think people also are afraid of having a conversation of like, well, this is who we were in the past, but we're not this now. I get that. Like, you is who we were in the past. <laughs> like, but own that. <laughs> like, and yeah. there's, like, you know, you know, rumors of like certain organizations that might have that might originally when they were founded might have had connections to like KKK and some other things like that. And like, those are things like, it's like, oh, but I don't want to talk about them, you know, because, you know, we're worried about people and they might leave. Like, no, just say, this is who we were. We're not this anymore. And if you want to be this, don't join our organization. Be, be being very clear about that. Yeah. Because I think that that helps organization oh my grow gosh. more. But I also think they're like, because I think it's also been interesting seeing or, you know, kind of some of these conversations. But I think a lot of people are afraid of like how the people who've been members for like 30 or 50 or 40 years mm. would be would kind of feel about how things are going now. Because even like within that post about like, you know, headquarters denouncing the memberships of these people. Some people were like, well, I'm turning in my pen or you'll never get another dollar. Or why are you bowing to these people? Like, no, that's not what that is about. And understanding oh, the large thing. But it takes time for people to, yeah. to kind of have those conversations. And I think through education, at least if we're starting that at the platform of our programming, I think that helps for others and what that looks like. And also that we are proponing it and requiring it for everyone, like collegians and also any alumni volunteers, because essentially it sets the standard and tone of like, these are things we are tolerating. These are things we're not tolerating within our membership. Um, not saying with, you know, and not saying we can't be open up to viewpoints, but it's just like, here's the hard things that we draw hard lines on and we will not allow um, in order for you to be a member of XYZ organization. So I think that's helpful of starting, yeah. you know, starting there and going from there, going forward. That's a really good point. I think it's hard. I think it's hard for me, even as I'm like hearing you talk to think about, wait, this is a huge problem. Like when you have an organization of members that span, gosh, 50 years, right? Like 18 to 80. However, that's more than 50 years. But anyways, you get the point. (laughs) So you, you have this organization of women that spans 18 years old to 80, 90 years old. There are so many different generations and beliefs and like upbringings that are created in that. And as times change, it's hard for me to even wrap around like, okay, 
member of 50, 60 years, this is what our organizations stand for. This is our values. We interpreted them differently when you joined. This is truly who we are and what we stand for as we are living in 2020. I think your point about drawing that hard line and being strong about defining yourself is kind of just like pulling off the band-aid of we're going to do this now instead of doing it gradually and making people get it over time. We're going to do it now. We're going to make people understand so that there's never any confusion moving forward. Do you agree? No, I completely agree. Cause I think it's, it's like we're, because I think especially I've also been, you know, following some conversations about like, no, you need to directly say, this and what you're doing about this because I think also a lot of people are tired of the social media advocacy of like yeah we're gonna post this and that's what we mean it's like no but what are you doing aside from this week from posting it because you're you're posting something about this and then essentially a couple weeks later you're not doing any educational programming or you're not doing any changes within your chapter membership um, requirements as well like so can you do something better than state a statement of that we're inclusive or based on this line of our creed um, that we that this is what our organization stands about? Because aside from what's going on right now, I know their organization doesn't stand about that. I know that your organization might have thrown certain parties um, in the past and hired people to be pseudo slaves. I'm not calling out an organization. I'm just saying something kind of blunt. <laughs> so we know yeah. the organization has stood for this in the past. So what are you doing about it now? <laughs> you know, so I think that's what also people are calling them out about right now. It's like, okay, great. You made this statement. You made this post. What are you doing about it after two months from now? What happens for new members mm. coming in? What, hap- what are you doing to make sure that you are holding your tasks to these words? What are you doing aside from this? Because you have members of color who have these certain experiences in their chapters um, who can't necessarily go to anybody because who else can they talk to about them? I had um, a conversation recently with a a collegiate member where she was telling me about her experience, essentially being gaslighted by her president and also not feeling comfortable to talk to advisors because it seems that the advisors were in agreement with, you know, the, you know, execs. So it doesn't help us there either. So like who you're working with in that. And I think also um, like, you know, some of our organizations, they create things after problems. Like for example, you know, SAE, had found someone to be their diversity edu- and equity and inclusion person after they had the um, University of Oklahoma incident. So how are we doing things? It's very reactive. Not yeah. Reactive, like proactive versus reactive of like, well, we're adding this position and we're creating this, but that's only after something happened versus like, you know, this is something in a principle we can care about. And like, this is that time to do that now versus like waiting for some chapter member to be putting on a black face, black fake Black, you know, you know, skin charcoal mask, and then saying some different words, and then she gets kicked out of the chapter, <laughs> or a chapter mm. thinking it's a great idea to do, um, you know, a run to the border theme party, um, you know, for like their their date party, like doing those actions now versus reacting to the fact that their their members are doing these things. Like yeah. it's always interesting if you've never have had opportunities to hear Lawrence Ross speak and he goes through his presentation, like. And even like things he has recently, it's just always amazing of this, like he continuously has all these things, but it's like they continuously happen. And especially within our organizations and some organizations have had more things pop up than others, but still nothing is done like with all of their membership. Yeah. Well, going back to your point about social media and all of these statements that have been 
released. And I mean, I've been following along pretty closely and being a member of Sigma Kappa, that's where I started and like reading the comments and the feedback that the membership had about the initial statement. And as I kept digging, I noticed that was a similar feeling of feeling like what was initially posted or what was initially stated was vague and not enough and not enough concrete, tangible, okay, what is going to sustain us? What is going to create effective change in our organization on this topic? And seeing these organizations release follow-up statements and action plans and resources and requesting feedback, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and what specifically you would like to see our organizations do in taking action in support of the Black Lives Matter movement? Um, essentially just that I want, I I would like to see organizations start doing things within their programming, how they're educating their members. I think that, and also how they're educating their advisors, because I know that those are two, those are the two principal areas that impact what a chapter experience is is what your, you know, what your advisors, advisory support is and looks like along with what education the chapter is getting within their new member experience and their regular member chapter development experience. Like, and if they're like, hey, we don't have, um, we can't have, like every campus can't have a diversity speaker because they might not have a diversity inclusion office at their campus. Like hire yeah. someone. A lot of these chapters do webinars. It's very easy for you to do a webinar with a chapter um, you know, like that has some preset stuff with people, especially with all our Zoom technology lately that we've used it. This is a, more of a more of a better time than any to start utilizing some of that. No kidding. Uh, within that. But I think a lot of it's just like educational programming, which is kind of a platform of some of, you know, our presentation and research that I've done. This is like, how can you educate your members along with how can you educate, you know, the alumni and also educate some of, you know, your advisors, advisory stuff as well. Um, and like, and right now, like I said, Delta Gamma is doing a lot with that. Like I know that Delta Gamma has also been having some really good um, white privilege kind of conversations. And I know that they're doing like a little book club with some areas. Like it's, I've been very impressed with them um, with some of like, like from the initial article that they had in their Ancora that has kind of trickled down to some of the things that they are consistently trying to do. So right now, if an organization is like, well, what do we do? Look at what Delta Gamma is doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, you know, you know, putting, you know, putting your mouth, putting your actions and your words where your mouth is. Like if you're saying you commit to these things, show it and do it. If you lose a few people because of it, then they shouldn't have been in your organization in the first place. You know, being okay, and yeah. being okay with that. <laughs> so I think yeah. that is. I think that's just like getting towards that sense of fearlessness. But right now, I would say Delta M is doing a good job in leading what that looks like, um, and working with that. And it's like, and there are people, there are plenty of people who would be great consultants of like helping you create what that for format and that programming could look like. Whether it's like, well, when we have our presidents, you know, national presidents retreat, because I know some of our headquarters will have like a president's or officer retreat before they have like their convention retreat, like doing something there within programming there. If you want to focus within your leadership before you're focused within like the smaller membership, there are a lot of people who are doing, <laughs> doing things um, that are awesome. I will reiterate of Nikki Rowlett, um, Su uh, Suzette Wadden Cole, Lawrence Ross, um, some of the people who I love and admire who do a lot of work myself included, um, 
who do a lot of work within this area. So you don't have to be experts on things. There are people who just love and are passionate about the Greek experience, but also are passionate about diversity and inclusion and, and fighting racism within organizations who would love to help work with organizations as well. Yeah. Especially after it's trending, right? Like, mm-hmm. obviously, this has been a hot topic for the past week and a half, but this is a hot topic and an important part of women's experiences, especially Black women and women of color in your organizations every day of their experience, right? This isn't just something that they're experiencing and living through after something tragic happens. Like, this right. is all of the time. And so, thank you so much for sharing all of those resources because. I think I think you're right. I think our organizations, I think panelistic communities, I think I'm even guilty of uh, talking about things in a very like idealistic world. Like my boyfriend calls it my phone voice. Like when I start talking about like the sorority experience, like I just get all like idealistic about it. But I think we really need to bring it back, like you were saying, to what are tangible things? Who can we hire? Like not fit this in, but when can we schedule for it? Because it's a priority, not an afterthought, not something we like make room for after something happens, but how do we make it something we schedule for like proactively, like you said. Um, So I love those resources and shout out to Delta Gamma. You are really singing their praises. (laughs) I, uh, when, you know, I when I see that. someone doing something, you know, correct or right, I'm not going to yeah. like lie and say that. And I wish, I wish it wasn't just the one right now. I mean, I know that mm. others could, could do similar things. Uh, like, like, cause I, I feel that they're at least, they at least have owner, you know, took an ownership and have done, been doing a lot of work. I think also they were doing some consulting with Lawrence with all that too. Like they have, there's some organizations. Yeah. Yeah, because like there have been organizations like because they are at least saying we're trying and we're going to do what we can do to get to a better place. And I think they are they're putting ownership to their words and trying because I think no one else has done anything that has like hit the same radar as they are right now. And I would love to see more organizations do something similar, if not more like they're they're good as far as like a starting template of like an organization like, well, we don't know where to start. Not the Delta Gamma, they've been doing some great things to start with. And I think a lot of organizations could start there and even do some more things from there. Yeah. So can we talk about some of those blind spots that you see that our national organizations, maybe our Panhellenic communities are just missing about this movement and like the purpose and the action that would make a difference right now, the action they could take to make a difference right now? That's a good question. I think I'll get in the purpose of Black Lives Matter movement. I think the whole, like the whole purpose, is that on a regular basis we do not have the same similar shared experiences, and when especially when it comes to our police officers. Now, I'm not saying in, I'm not getting into the argument of not all police or anything like that. It's just that, but there are. They hey, this are, is your podcast episode. You can go wherever you want. <laughs> well, like, this is just like, because that's just how I feel, like, because people were talking about, well, this or that. But sure, there have been very clear examples over the past, like, and it, like, you know, it's been for decades. But within the, the past 10 years, because I would say camera data, like being able to record and show something on your cell phone has been the more the popular thing. And I think of like, and starting with Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, 
and Sandra Bland, and I can continue going of names, of these people, and essentially of Black trauma of watching these modern day lynchings and never seeing these people get justice, of mm. not, never seeing of like, of like correction, you know, anything happening to the people who have done something to these individuals. And um, he was like, well, you, you know, and people always want to say, well, they did something wrong. It's like, yes, but there are people who are still alive who have done something wrong. And then you see examples of how some other people will talk to police or do other things, but, you know, for the fact of like my experience and my skin is completely different than your experience and acknowledging that. And that's where that movie is. It's like, we just want to live and be able to experience life. Um, and there are instances where people should be alive and they're not. Um, Tamir Rice, 12 year old boy who was just playing in a park with a gun. Um, Philando Castile doing everything right. Someone who carries it, but carried, killed in the car with his girlfriend and his daughter, you know? Um, and also, else Aubrey 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 you know Ahmad Ahmad Aubrey recently running through you know running through a neighborhood killed yeah. Brianna Taylor um killed in her home um even like some of the cases last year which were two people who were one playing a video game just was hot door open she was killed also and um other gentlemen eating ice cream on um at home also killed um like so it is gotten to a point where we are tired and we have been tired and, you know, there's a quote by Fannie, Fannie Mae Howard, but essentially it's like, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's where this whole Black Lives Matter movement is. It's just like trying to say, we are tired of this experience. You know, regardless if you are uh, from working class or to, you know, high class as, as a Black person, your experience is all consistently the same. Um, and that's a whole system of, you know, it's a whole system of systematic racism. And it's not something that gets to be undone because it's it's working because that's how the system was created and made. That's just a part of it. But we are consistently calling out the changes, the calling out the issues, especially within our police system. And that's what this is about currently. And I think this week and especially right now has shown that there are more people with us than there have been in the past because this is not some this is like something that we are regularly calling out yearly and yearly and yearly and i think finally enough people have gotten to our point that way have hurt us so that's why you were seeing more action because i was like this isn't something that just happened like these three people recently got passed you know between you know, Ahmad, Brianna, and George, this has just been that there are a list of names. And even like, I remember talking about a few years ago that I pray my name never becomes a hashtag because I've been someone who's driven through different parts of the country, mm. moving out to different places. I know, and if you don't know the existence of what sundown towns are, you should look them up. <laughs> They're essentially certain places where you should, if you are a certain color, you should not be after when it gets dark. Um, so making sure that if I have to, when I was moving out here to Arizona, I only, I made sure that I only stayed in major cities because I was afraid of staying anywhere small town. Um, so I had to stay in major populated cities for each state, like whatever the capital or whatever the biggest city was, I was staying there because I was more safer there than I would be in some random town that might have been a little bit extra closer to my drive, but not, not as safe. So noting all those things about it, about a black experience, but also noting for our members of color is that aside from all of these things is you're also experiencing as a college student, 
Um, you know, if you're going through, essentially, you're going through your own cultural development identity. All of our students do it in some aspect of who you are and what you connect with and what your background is. And yes, you might have joined a chapter, or a chapter that might fit closely within your background, within your culture background. That's okay. You might have joined a chapter that might have not been within your culture background, and that's okay as well. Um, but I think the hard part is, is when you are in an organization that necessarily isn't a part of your culture background, you deal with the random microaggression. You deal with the microaggression of like when I always will use recruitment as an example of what you're required to wear for recruitment, straightening, straightening your hair, um, wearing certain colors, which are considered new to some and not to you um, and doing certain things that maybe other people wouldn't have to do, but you have to do because you are this person, you are this person of color. Um, and then also being excluded from certain things because you are a person of color and dealing with those microaggressions. And even if you call them out, then also calling them out and being considered an angry black woman because you're calling them out um, for those things. Or you're everyone's favorite token, or you're the one girl who's everyone says like, oh, she's my, you know, I have a black friend and she's my sorority sister or something like that. So I'm also being like this tokenized and held up to this girl. So there are like, the reason of like, the anger of the black like lives matter movement is like weird is tired but also when we're thinking about our membership experience of like how many of your chapters are checking in on their members of color and genuinely checking in on them and actually making sure that they're having good conversations within the chapter of just like how we show this in a public space of like who we are and what we stand for and not being sure. afraid to call it out like Great, you posted the image on social media about about this thing. But also, what does your chapter look like on a regular basis? Are you a Barbie chapter? <laughs> um, but you essentially saying you're calling this out. Um, do you support your members of color or do they tend to leave because they, they feel ostracized, ostracized and you also never show pictures of them because they don't fit your quote unquote brand or image standard that you're looking at? Oh, wow. <laughs> and I'm not, and like, and then and we can even get into like, you know, size stuff like, like regardless of like, I'm, and that's why I'm members of color. And I'm also talking about, I don't just mean just the black experience, I mean of other backgrounds and so as well. But when I'm talking about black, I do mean black, but yeah, you're thinking about all these different experiences. Um, and, and, you know, I'm sure some people are like, well, I can't think about all these other things, all these other people. It's like, yes, but some people are thinking about these things all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, like we are having our own process of grief and I, and I, you know, have had that within, like, I think between everything I've been working with, with students, the COVID-19 and then just also this, I've just was mentally and emotionally exhausted um so like even when you reached out to me soccer girl in the week i was like i can't talk i can't talk about anything or any experience because i'm just i'm angry and i'm sad and i can't do anything about this because i don't think because even like i'm not hopeful enough that even after all of this that most things or anything is going to change i think people are going to call people to task they'll be in the psych news cycle for two weeks and then we will be back at the same part within like the next month or so um, because people don't get it nor understand it, nor are, are people in the positions to make changes going to make changes. But I think that's just also so it's like we have gotten our hopes up before. We've hoped something to change and things don't change. So we just get to a point where we just feel apathetic about it in general. So that is kind of the long of the short of thinking about how this matters for our organizations, how this matters for our students and how this connects in the larger picture of like if. And I always love the best way of like explaining the Black Lives Matter movement of like, 
there's a house on fire in your neighborhood now. Not all the houses on fire, but just one. So we need to go help this one house on fire. And I was at the time saying, well, what about my house? Well, your house isn't on fire right now. So yep. we're going to focus on the house that's on fire. Well, why can't the person who ha- owns the house put out their own fire? They can't. <laughs> they need help. It has engulfed the house, house, and they are also trapped in the house, so they can't put their own fire out. Um, they're on the they're- second floor with the dog, and the curtains are just... It's like, yeah. yeah. They're trying to, so let's try to help them out. And then yeah. we can, like, and if your house catches on fire, we will help you catch, put your house out on fire or whatever. But like, and also those flames could spread to your house, but we need to make sure that we're putting it out now. So to the long and the short yeah. of it, it's a lot, but I think there's, this is, should not be just something that just happens this week or next, next two weeks. This is not something that's just a social media, social media thing that everybody's like, yeah, I post on social media. Cause it's like, okay, you post on social media now. What, what else are you doing um, to make sure you're educating and also not relying on minorities to educate you. Um, yeah. There are a lot of materials and Google is free. Um, but also making sure Google is free. Yes. <laughs> but also making sure that you are not putting the burden of proof on minorities to educate you about the minority experience. There are mm. plenty of great, amazing books about white fragility. Um, you know, empty that white privilege into a snapsack. And I know also people talk about the privilege conversation is like, well, I didn't have this or that's like it's not saying you don't have things, it's saying you have an easier time with your experience than others meaning you have less restrictions, just like I'm a cisgender woman. So I never have to think about not having a job or not, or not getting something because I'm not, because I'm not trans, because I'm trans or because that's not something I never think about that I could be fired because I'm a cisgender woman. I'm like, Oh, I don't think about that. I have that as a privilege and that's fine. Um, But I still have to acknowledge that I know I have that privilege that I don't have to worry about that as a space in order to know that other people do. That you yeah. have to acknowledge the things that you have issues with um, in order to, not issues, but necessarily you have some extra advances than other people. And what do those advances look like versus some others? It doesn't mean that you have it better. It doesn't mean that, you know, someone didn't, you didn't work for those opportunities. That's not what no one's saying. It's saying that you have an easier time walking through life experience than some other people who, who do not because of certain things within the areas of privilege. So yeah. that's kind of the larger space. Well, and when I hear you say that, right, I I think about what our women in our sorority experience can do to extend this past when it's trending, right? To extend this past that blackout Tuesday, like everybody's posting about it, regardless of like what our chapter looks like, we are bringing awareness to it right now. And one thing you talked about was how do we like, are we checking in our checking in with our women of color um, and what their sorority experience is like? Are we like having their voices heard? And I was just curious to hear if there's anything else you'd want to add to how our Panhellenic women can really amplify the voices of black women and women of color in their chapters to sustain effective change beyond these two weeks or this week or however long. One is not silencing members because, like I said, I had a recent conversation with one member about her chapter and she essentially was gaslighted and is like, well, that's not the case. And that's like, no, listening to your members 
is would probably be the first one, especially if they have decided to speak out, but also at the same time, not tokenizing them that they are the spokesperson for this experience. They are talking about their own personal experience and what that means to them, but it is not, it is not a monolith, but I think working in that area is something that people could do for their members of color. Um, as one, as one thought, um, is like, especially checking, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying, like, the other thing I was thinking about, too, is the other councils on our campus that support minorities, right, our Multicultural Greek Council, our NPHC, our NALFO, and there's several others, like, what opportunities do you think maybe even for our women to be amplifying just the Greek, the the people of color's experience in Greek organizations, like, beyond their own chapter, I mean, honestly, I would say probably doing a better job at connecting with them um, outside of like events that deal with um, like outside of Great Week and Homecoming. I think showing up to things is always the big part of bridging those barriers. Um, But it's not even just within like, you know, our um, cultural orgs, but also just kind of like our cultural community as a whole. Um, You know, I think there's a lot there essentially six or seven cultural coalitions at, you know, the university and, and they all do different programming within their heritage months. So it's like, how can we do programming that focuses around heritage months? How can we connect our chapter to those things and showcase things about our our sisters or even just have people go to things? I think, yeah. how are we educating our members within like our community that we have at ASU? And there's so many different things that I think we can do to overlap. But I think also of just like, what's a focus area that I think our national orgs can say, we want all of our chapters to have experience on this. And I don't want, I don't like the checkbox ideology. It's like, okay, I did the checkbox. We went to this one thing. We did done. it. You know, yeah. done. We don't have to do this again. We don't have to have conversations. It's like, what is something that can be s- sustainable um, to continue of like connecting education along with putting like outreach of how are you getting members to go to like culture fest or go to something that they probably wouldn't have experienced had they not have been encouraged to. So I think yeah. connecting in that way and also looking at like, cause I think we, we talk with our, you know, people who are coming into the university about what Greek life looks like and that there are all different types of experiences and this might not be the experience for you. So this is what another experience looks like. But I think being open to like, at least talking about that versus like, this is the only organization you should join and stuff like this. I think it's just like, no, if this isn't for you, this is also, there are also other opportunities within Greek life. And if it's not Greek life, here are other experiences on campus. Cause um, I know that um, one of the, one of the research I've done with um, connected with someone who was doing her dissertation um, regarding black women and independent organizations is that, one thing that found from one person found is that they loved that they had sisters sometimes go with them to the black student union events and stuff like that mm. that were on campus or some of the heritage month events. And that was something that was significant to them and their experience because it just, it was validating of who they were, who they were and who their culture was um, versus like, Oh, I have to go to this. Like, no, like we'll go with you to these things. Cause we know that these are still pieces of your identity and we want to make sure that you have the connection to it, but not also stating like, well, you're black, you should go to the black things. No, like, hey, <laughs> like, are you interested in this? Great. We're going to anyway. I was like, if no one wants to go, we're going to go regardless because we're interested 
in, you know, this, you know, African-American history month, you know, event, and we always want to go. <laughs> yeah. So I think just trying to, you know, bridge those areas and bridge them sensi- sensitively and making sure they're sustainable bridges. Yeah. And I think all the suggestions and ways to like really create those bridges that you just talked about, like came down to a place of education, right? Like when you go to those events, when you go to the strolls, when you go to the different events that either coalitions host or uh, multicultural Greek organizations host, you learn something. You learn something about these organizations and their history and what they stand for. And that isn't requiring someone to teach you. That is showing up and doing the work yourself Correct. and then cultivating an understanding and a respect for them so that you can be a better ally. And I think I think we have so much to learn from our, our brothers and sisters in other councils that beyond NPC and IFC. So I think it's that's a really good recommendation, and I really hope that listeners take that to heart, that there are ways to learn from one another that actually show like solidarity and friendship, which is like at the core of who we are as sorority women. Yes. So thank you so much for sharing that, Bridget, and like really going, really going deep with this topic and that's hard. And I really appreciate you sharing like the emotions that you shared this week and needing to take some time before we hopped on a call because um, you deserve that and you deserve the time to have space and process this. And I, I'm thankful that you were so real with us tonight. Thank you I think- for, for having me. Cause I, cause I, I know this experience is something important to talk about and it's something that I continuously will do advocacy working because I I want all of our students who join any of our organization whether it be an NPC and IC or any of our cultural organizations that you feel valid of who you are within your identity but also that your organization supports who you are and does not challenge that nor does it threaten that and that's essentially what are at the core of value our organization should stand for of being supportive and inclusive of our members but how do we show but how we show that sometimes translates differently between universities so even if like there's consistent standards of what that looks like I think that's great yeah well and I think even just hearing you share what you just did like circles back to your why right like providing a better experience and being a resource for students in their experience like advocating I hear you say is like part of that is there anything else that like really fuels you in the work that you do with our Greek organizations with as much growth and (laughs) opportunity that they have to improve in this area no that's kind of the core of it is I want to make sure people have you know the support and also are rising to I think the occasion I think the the beauty of our Greek leadership organizations is that this experience isn't just four years, it's a for life experience. So also how does that translate to the work that you do in the name of your organization outside of um, outside of what you had at campus experiences? And I think that those things translate and especially if we are teaching you know, our members these things as foundational work, they will be phenomenal work when they graduate. So that's kind of the things that I believe in and I strongly wanna make sure of 
for us, our organizations of how can we stop behaviors and stop essentially having trending topics of people deciding that having a blackface party was a good idea. And also of how to be culturally sensitive to others and also advocate for others in a proper space. Like how can we consistently do that? Yeah, I feel like I say all the time that social organizations are NPC and and I see organizations being social um, means that they're equipping men and women for society, not just equipping men and women to talk to each other on a Friday night. And I think that this is one of those areas that we are we have a, such a opportunity to equip our collegians to be better members of society, right? So when they are six-year-old members, they are resources for a woman of color joining their organization and can write them a recommendation letter (laughs) to say like that they advocate for the character and potential that this woman has to grow in the organization, right? And really rewrite some of these just kind of traditions and expectations that exist in our groups and Thank you for bringing a lot of those to light in our conversation tonight, because I just had chills hearing you talk about things that were a part of my experience that I had no idea how they originated. So, no, and it, it's it was even like eye opening to me of reading it and just learning it, and even as I've been like sharing with others, it was like it's like because we do things that like don't make sense, and even like as especially within COVID nineteen, as we are reimagining what the great experience looks like there's just time to also just stop doing certain things like this i was like of the time of revolution of things this is the time to start and stop things stop doing these things and start doing some new things what are things that have not worked and also things that we've been holding on that don't mean anything so i think this is a good re-examination period for a lot of our organizations yeah absolutely well and i think you're right i had a conversation with Allison um, at the beginning of uh, COVID and students leaving campus and just talking about all the distractions that had been removed, um, the formals, the t-shirts, the soccer tournaments, whatever, all these things that we fill our sorority or fraternity experience with have been removed. And what we're left is this sisterhood that was intended and created to strengthen us through hard times. That's all we have right now. And I think you're right. I think this examination process started 10 weeks ago. And I hope that this this week, this um, these series of events that really had have woken up our organizations just helps us go deeper to say, okay, we examined a lot of the unnecessary um, how, what else is unnecessary? What else are we just holding on to without much of a purpose? So I'm really hopeful for that. Yes, I am. I am too. I, I was like, there are things that I feel very, I fluctuate a good point between being apathetic and hopeful, but I would always say I am ever hopeful for, for change. That might not think it happens sometimes, but I'm always hopeful. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us and your thoughts on what's going on in the world and how sorority women can really be a part of this. So I really appreciate you, Bridget. This really meant a lot to have you on tonight. Yeah. And thanks for honestly reaching out and asking me. It was a great opportunity to kind of get to speak with you, slightly catch up, but also kind of 
talk about yeah. some things that I'm very passionate about. Yeah. About so this was this was really great, and you know, I hope I hope there's something that at least one person gets from from all of this. So that's kind of yeah. I don't know about you, but as I was having this conversation with Bridget, and as I went through our conversation again to before sharing it with you, there are moments that gave me chills and made me extremely uncomfortable having not known that our organizations were founded that way and how different my experience is from another woman who um, doesn't share my letters but shares my Panhellenic membership and has had a completely different perspective on what it means to be a Panhellenic woman because of her cultural background and how it differs from mine. I want to challenge you to dig a little bit deeper into those moments of our conversation that made you uncomfortable that you didn't want to hear. I started her sorority journey because I am a passionate sorority woman who believes in the power of the sorority experience. It's hard to hear that our organizations were founded the way that they were. It's hard to hear that our organizations are not serving women Black women, women of color, not serving women that aren't the stereotype women as we think that they are. It's hard to hear how much room that we have to grow. But I think it's so important that we talk about the room we have to grow because it gives us the opportunity of being part of the change. I truly believe that by taking ownership over where we have been, it gives us responsibility and helps us see our role in growing to where we're committed to be. So whatever it was for you that made you uncomfortable in this conversation or really struck a chord with you, maybe it was learning that some of our organizations had honorary members that were Confederate generals. Maybe it was hearing that it's important to engage with other councils on your campus beyond homecoming and Greek week. Whatever it was that struck a chord for you, I hope that you'll dig deeper. I hope you feel challenged to learn more, to be more educated, and really combat some of those biases and traditions that just exist because we've always done things that way. For my women of color, I want you to know that this is a safe space for you, and I'm committed to digging deeper to ensure that we are doing everything we can to support our Panhellenic communities across the country in doing better and truly living out their values, not just talking about them or posting on them on social media. We are committed to being here for you. And if there is something that you see or something that you need, please reach out to me um, either on Instagram at her sorority journey um, or at my personal Instagram at little Cass because Sister, I am on your team. I'm on your side. This is just as much your experience as it is anyone else's. And you are worthy of your unique sorority journey. If this episode resonated with you in any way, if you found yourself nodding along or saying yes in agreement with what was talked about, we would love to hear from you. There are three ways that we would love to know how this how this podcast is impacting you and how we can better support you. The first is by leaving a review. 
When you go to the Your Sorted Journey podcast on Apple Podcasts and scroll down past all the episodes, please leave us a review so that we can know how this podcast and the content is impacting your sorority journey. We would also love it if you would tell your friends so they can get tuned into these conversations. And finally, shoot us a DM. If you have questions, if you would like to hear something, or if you just want to tell us what you think, feel free to shoot us a DM at Her Sorority Journey so we can know how we can best support you on your sorority journey.